We've talked about many things. We, when we first started this, we gate. So if you, this is your first Sunday, you get seven if you want to get, get caught up on to. They're all on YouTube and Facebook and all. Um, we start off with saying that Peter is writing his second letter of how to battle false doctrines, false teachers, and moral decay, moral compromise that has taken place in the world today. We've talked about a divine supernatural work that has taken place in your soul. If you're a believer in Christ, then something supernatural has taken place. You're not the same person. Jesus has invaded your life and the Spirit of God is there, something supernatural. And on top of that, he's invited you to partner with him in the redemption of man. He wants you to come alongside to do that. That our salvation is complete and perfect. It's not lacking anything, but we need to pursue, diligently pursue, that faith inside of how we're going to grow. And it's going to be brought out again in chapter 3 here, that our only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth is the Bible, the Word of God. Last couple times, the judgment is sure and severe, but rescue is promised. God can rescue and judge all at the same time. And last week, the very spiritual line, don't be fooled by vomit-eating dogs or muddy pigs. Some of you said, ah, oh, you had to say it again. I thought I heard it enough last Sunday. I didn't say it. God said it several times in the Word, so I'm just repeating what he said. As a friend texted me, I'm staying away from vomit-eating pigs and muddy, muddy dogs today. No, vomit-eating dogs, they both fit anyways. It, it still works. So let's read 2 Peter 3, 1 through 7. This is where we're going to be today. Peter says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through, the, through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by the water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. The keep for being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Main point today is this, kind of rhymes. Some mock, some ignore, some live as it doesn't matter anymore. It's time for a wake-up call. That there are those who are going to be mocking. There are those who are going to be scoffing. There's those who are going to purposely ignore. But the more fearful of all these three are the ones who live as if it doesn't matter anymore. And that's where Peter is writing. It's time for a wake-up call. And ultimately the question we'll ask is, does the way you live, your life, reflect your belief in Jesus' return? So verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Remember chapter 1, he says, I'm going to remind you, remind you. I'm going to call to memory. Again, he says here, to, to, re, to remind you, to stimulate your mind. I love this quote I found. I have a good memory. My problem is my forgettery is even better. <laughs> Amen to that. 
You know, yesterday was 20 years, and like Jeff said, I remember exactly where I was 20 years ago, what I was doing, um, everything that took place, uh, the mood of this country. Fighters were up in the air. Police were on alert everywhere. Uh, nobody disregarded anything that looked suspicious. Airline security was up. Everybody knew the threat was real. And I still, the, the memory of seeing that happen is so very strong in my mind. Churches and synagogues were full. Flags were flown, prayers were said, and there were no sides. It didn't matter whether you were Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, it didn't matter what color you were. Someone wrote me this week, it just, and I see this, can see the images, people running away, they're all the same color, because they were covered. Um, it was just a unique time. And we were vigilant for a while, but months and years go by, and the vigilance is cooled. Some don't remember, some, weren't, some of you weren't even born, when you think about it. Um, people have grown tired of hearing certain things. They get tired of that, and they want business back to normal. And I, my struggle is, I, I don't want to leak out anything here. I, my struggle is, is that I don't think there ever been a time, at least, there's never been a time in my lifetime when unity in this country is so far apart. It just doesn't exist, it seems. Everything is about dividing. Everything is about pushing. Whether, when you watch the NFL, now we got two anthems, and you know, uh, there's a vacuum of leadership that, guys, when, I, when there's a vacuum of leadership, I about come out of my skin. I mean, I just, somebody do something, someone lead. I mean, I just, I get like this inside. And you realize you lose what you don't fight for. And I, I believe that's true what, what kind of describes us as a nation, but I, I think that's true what describes us even as a church. I mean, Peter is writing to people who intellectually knew the dangers of false teachers, intellectually knew mockers were going to be there. They just weren't living that truth. And they needed a wake-up call, and that's why Peter's writing. Peter maybe could not even fathom the tidal wave, if you will, of scoffers and mockers on YouTube and Twitter and TV that Christianity has been, is forever just attacked. And that's why he calls us. Guys, you need to remember. It's, it's so important because under this onslaught, and if you thought that was bad back then, today, you can't turn on a TV show without your Christian views being attacked. You can't, I can't float through YouTube and not see this one's attacking, this one's attacking, this one's attacking constantly. And some mock, some ignore, and some live lives if it doesn't matter anymore. It's time. And that's why it says, dear friends, this is now my second letter I've written, both to remind, rem, reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And this word wholesome thinking literally means to uncan, uncontaminated thinking. 
Now, anyone here this morning believe that the person next to you does not have a contaminated mind in some way or form or another? Okay. <laughs> I mean, what I, I'm amazed by my mind because I can have the most holiest thoughts and two seconds later be blowing people up. I'm just being honest, being transparent. I can be praying, and I mean it. The angels are singing, it's so holy. <laughs> and then seconds later, my mind is somewhere else. And he's saying here, choose. I mean, we choose how we think. I, I choose where my mind, I mean, my mind can float there. I can't control, it's kind of like when people talk about temptations. That, you know, it's, it's like the look. If guys or a gal, you see a gal, you see a good looking guy, or guys, you see a good looking gal walk by. It's not the first look that kills you. It's the second and the third. So that's where the control comes from. And in my mind, I can control where my mind goes where I choose not to allow it to go to a certain place. That's that term gigo. Remember in computer terms? Gigo, garbage in, garbage out. What you program in is going to come out. So if you have more garbage than good, guess what's going to come out most of the time? Garbage. So therefore, you need to put more good in. Because as a believer in Christ, I've been given the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says this. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may freely know the things given to us by God. I have God's Spirit. He wants to communicate things to me. I mean, last night, it was 11.40 because I was praying when I woke up, please be at least three. If it's three, I can last till four because I normally get up at four. But it was 11.40. And the reason I woke up is a story. I mean, literally, I grabbed my phone. I started doing that little, you know, the, the one you can read into your phone. I'm reading, making a memo. This is, this is my next book, all right? I'm, I, I set my, I, it was so vivid. I can see it right now. Our minds are great things, though, where God can stir things up and do that. But at the same time, it can go to damaging places. But you, be with my stimulate wholesome thinking. Much like what, what Kevin said in the prayer. Think about what is good, what is noble. It's my choice. And Peter tells us how to do that. Verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So recalling means, guys, it's getting the book. Now understand, Peter's writing to a group of people, they didn't have a Bible. The, the Old Testament scrolls were in the synagogue. They didn't carry little, you know, pocket Old Testaments. And so they didn't have the Holy Bible. Matter of fact, it would be till 300 years later when a Bible was even put together. And then it was just for the religious people. And the normal common person couldn't have until Luther until 1500s where he actually translated the book of Romans from Latin into German. So understand, for the church for the longest time, they have not had the word of God that you have at the at your fingertips constantly. And this is what he is saying to those people. Recall, because they, they, they didn't have them, so they'd have to memorize them. That's why David, hey, put your word in my heart, because guys, you can't take that away. You can't take what I've memorized. You may take my Bible away, my phone can blow up, but you can't take what I've placed in my heart, what I've placed in my mind. 
to recall. You need to take these things. you got to remember these things. Even the letters that they were writing, they'd go from church to church, and they would copy things down. That's why we have so many remnants of of the writings that we, oh, this is what this person wrote down. This is what pe- this person wrote down. And so they were writing these things down. Recall them. Bring that back to remembrance. Because why? The mockers are here. Recall the words. How important, guys, that the Bible is to constantly realize from the Old Testament to Jesus' words to the prophets. These are the three that get to the word because that's what's going to help you during this time. That's how you're going to face off with the false prophets, the false teachers. That's how you're going to face off to moral compromise. That's how you're going to handle the mockers that he says in verse 3. First of all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come. Some of your translations say mockers scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now, these scoffers, these mockers, these aren't the false teachers. The false teachers were the ones that were inside the church trying to destroy it. The the mockers and scoffers are the ones throwing rocks from outside the church. They're the ones who are trying to intimidate those of you, trying to make you doubt, trying to, to steer you away from the outside. It's bad enough you got people on the inside doing that. Now you got people on the outside. Now, we would call that hate speech, but it's all hate speech unless it's toward Christians, if you haven't noticed. You can say whatever you want about Christ. Can't do that about any other religion, or it's hate speech! But Christians are fair game. Their theology is fair game. And these mockers come with an accusing finger And they say things like, verse 4, they say, where's the coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. See, the mockers are there. They just have a bigger platform. I mean, they got the Twitter. They got the YouTube. They got this. And they can put just about anything on, and it will not be taken down. Christian stuff will be taken down, but not their stuff, because that's free speech. You have to, the early church truly believed that Jesus was going to come back at any time. I mean, they were ready. I mean, when Jesus said things like, this generation shall not pass, they believed that was them. And so the early church, who Peter was writing to, truly believed it's any time. It's in our lifetime. And so the mockers were coming saying, hey, where's the delay? You said Jesus is coming. He hasn't come yet. Man, talk about today where people say, he said that 2,000 years ago. You guys are still waiting? You still think he's going to promise you that? And here's the thing. There have been scoffers throughout time. I, I don't know if you heard the name. I've heard the name Al, Albert Schweitzer. He you know, did a hospital in Africa, Nobel Peace Prize winner. He was also a Lutheran pastor. He was a theologian. And he really kind of started this in the late 1800s where he, he says, you know, Jesus was a great guy. I mean, he had good things to say. He wanted to help people. But he was under a delusional of grandeur. Because he thought if he started doing the ministry and talking about the kingdom of God, his father would be so impressed that he'd send the kingdom. But it didn't happen. So he chose to, I'm going to send out 70 of my disciples to talk about the kingdom. Now my father is going to bring the kingdom. Didn't happen. So Jesus figured, I, what I'll do is I'll sacrifice myself. I'll suffer, and my father will see it, and then he'll see, send the kingdom. And he found himself on the cross. God did not answer his prayer. And that's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
What? But man, churches have ate that up. I, I, I know people call themselves Christians that go, yeah, that's all true. He was a good guy. I mean, he wasn't the son of God, but yeah, he was a good guy. And yeah, I, I mean, he, he helped people, but I mean, it's not coming back. I mean, no one rises from the dead. It was, all kind of, it was kind of a moral thing that God wants you to, to restore things in your life and bring, bring those things back. No. The early church truly believed he was coming back. I mean, when you look at the Bible itself, 25 out of the 27 books of the New Testament talk about Jesus' return. Only two don't. Philemon and 3 John. They're the only two that do not mention his return. Out of the 27, 25. Out of 260 chapters, 300 references to the coming of the Lord. Guys, this was paramount to the church believing. You just got done singing a song where you, what you believe, and at the end that you're coming back, you're coming back again. That's our hope, that God wins in the end. But that's also the thing that these mockers want to take away. Come on. Now imagine Jesus has only been gone for 30 years and you're hearing these. He's, he, he was, he's gone. He's been gone for 30 years. He hasn't come back. Now it's 2,000 years. You're still waiting? Come on. Are you just dumb? Stupid? What? What's going on? Because that's what they truly believe. And that's why... They attack that because that's what the church holds on to, that God wins in the end. And some will mock, some will just ignore, and some live, live as if it doesn't matter anymore. It's time for a wake-up call. Verse 4, they will say, where is his coming, he promised. They also say, ever since your father, our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, here's a big word. Put that big word up there. Okay, that's a big word. Uniformitarianism, I think is how you said. How many syllables? Somebody count how many syllables that is. How many syllables? Nine, right? If I count it like that, I go, that can't be nine. I don't spell words that have nine syllables. I usually stick to three, all right? That's where my safety zone is. And what this big word, and the only reason I'm using this big word, because I just learned this big word, because every commentary I read used the word. I go, man, I missed this word. This was important. I missed it in seminary class somehow. I wasn't told this. But basically, it just means this. As it was in the beginning, so it is today. Nothing's changed. They just, that's what they believe. I mean, ever since your father said, everything's gone on since the beginning of creation. When it says creation, it's not talking about God creating the earth. It's talking about the Big Bang. Ever since this place got its start, it's all running the same. And here's the important part of this. It denies any inter intervention by God. Because, you know, nature, I mean, it's being worshipped today. It's its own religion. Nature has just been gone. Mother nature is such a pleasant thing. That God does not inter intervene in that. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this word. I think it is, well, I'll try. Anthropocentric hedonism. Such big words in this today. All right? But this quote says, man-centered pleasure-seeking, that's what that means, always mocks at the idea of ultimate, ultimate standards and a final division between saved and lost. 
for men who live in the world of the relative, the claim that the relative will be ended by the absolute is nothing short of ludicrous. For men who nourish a belief in human self-determinism and perfect stability, the very idea that we are accountable and dependent is a bitter pill to swallow. No wonder they mock it. Because for them to admit that, that means God has the power to intercede into things. And that's why verse 5 says, but these guys, these mockers, they deliberately forget. You don't have any children that do that, deliberately forget? But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. It escapes their notice. They purposefully, purposefully close their eyes. Because if I read my Bible correct, Romans 1 says that God has placed within every single human being the truth that there's something bigger than himself, that God exists. It's when we choose to suppress that, choke it out, and not, not be it, for it not to exist. And that's what these people, they were deliberately forgetting how everything started because they cannot handle that long ago God's word created the heavens. They cannot, that God just spoke and it was here. Now, whether you believe God just spoke and it was here and that's how the Big Bang happened, you, you still got problems. I mean, science is not an enemy of the Bible. Science is a friend. And the funny thing is every time they find something, it just kind of proves the existence of God and his truth anyways. But even if you say, well, that's just the Big Bang. That's how it started. I always love it when people do that. I go, so Big Bang, it's like a, like a balloon, right? Just kind of like expanding like this? Yes. And all the galaxies are spinning away from each other? Yes. I go, let me ask you this one question. What is the nature of the room that this balloon is blowing up into? What's out here? I mean, if the skin of the balloon is the universe, which you said, and we know that, that the galaxies are spinning away from each other, what's, what's out here? Well, I don't know. Another question then, if it's the skin of the balloon, what's inside? The Bible kind of explains that as the heavens and hell. I mean, again, you don't want to put that, that God's word actually, he spoke and things came into existence. That They hate the idea of intelligent design because then they have to admit that someone designed it, that it just didn't happen. And that's having a biblical view of the universe, a biblical worldview of the universe, that God uses, he created things. So there's natural causes. I mean, there's hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes and all that stuff is natural. But at the same time, God intervenes into the universe at any point that he desires because why? It's his. And that's what they mock. Verse 6 says, by these waters... Also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And he's talking about a flood here, which people go, oh, the flood, whatever. God destroying the earth by water didn't happen. Do you realize from Africa to Asia to South America to Australia, cultures have a flood story? They all do. I mean, the Sumerian flood story was this King Zorinda who was told by the God to build a boat and put your family and your pets on it. And the reason being, I'm going, the God told him, I'm going to destroy the earth because you guys are too noisy, which is kind of funny. Yeah, so he wanted some peace and quiet. So that's why he destroyed the earth. And the floods came and the boat landed on top of a mountain. The Babylonians have the same story. Escaped the flood. 
humanity because God told him to. The Hindus have a flood story. The flood story is this man by the name Manu who was informed by a talking fish to build a boat, put animals in it because God was going to flood the earth. And so he attached a rope to the fish and it pulled this boat around on top of a mountain where it saved everything. And every one of those stories, man, those sound very familiar, doesn't it? And what's funny, if you want a great video watch, YouTube, it's in your notes, is Genesis, Genesis History. It's a, little, it's a little over an hour and a half, I think. It's well worth it because it just talks about the geological record. And because scientists, they can't, art, every time they dig something up, they, they're trying to have to fit it within their understanding and it doesn't fit because it keeps going back to what God said happened. They can't argue with the, just the, the, the dinosaurs all being piled up and pulled up in one spot. How did this happen? Uh, well, we don't know how they all got here in one spot. I mean, and how they all had to die so quickly. And how they, again, they don't want to admit. But the record keeps proving itself. Because they want to mock. You've got to mock that there's no way God could have created this. There's no way God would have flooded the earth. That's why verse 7 by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God promised. That's why we have a rainbow. That's, he says, I'm going to give you this sign that I'm never going to flood the earth again. So it doesn't matter how much rain you think is coming. As my friend, I told him, well, yeah, because it was raining and pouring, a hurricane came through there. I said, well, at least you got a boat. Put all your animals on it and go outside and you're safe. And we both laughed at that. But we know it's not going to be flooded, the earth like before. That is being reserved for fire. God's going to destroy this. And whether it's, uh, I mean, one of the billions of galaxies that decides to go supernova. Matter of fact, our sun went supernova. It would melt the earth, okay? It would melt it down. If, well, one fact I learned, that we have a 10, kind of 10 mile, which is, which is pretty far. So from here to Lodi, thick. But from here to Lodi, underneath our feet is magma that's at 12,400 degrees. It wouldn't take much, which you see volcanoes and all that, for God to say, loose and have your way. But here's the deal. This is what Colossians said. Colossians 1.17. Speaking of Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, how many things? All things hold together. Now, I was always told that, you know, we have enough nuclear bombs to destroy our earth 10 times over, which is technically not true. But when you, I'm always amazed, that's why I click on things, how a hydrogen bomb works or how an atom bomb works. Because I want to see the little hatchet that they're using to, you know, split an atom. I mean, that always is fascinating me. How do you split an atom? I mean, but we know what the destructive power is from that. Jesus is holding it all together, guys. Even when you think things are crazy, he's still holding it together. All things even down to the last atom. Peter released that. As the promise is, is that judgment is coming and the destruction of all that we see is meant to be something better is coming. 
You think this is pretty? You think this is beautiful? You just wait. Because that's the promise. I flooded her once. I'm going to destroy it by fire only to create something beyond your wildest dreams. And some mock and some ignore. And some of us live as if it doesn't matter anymore. It's time for a wake-up call. Because the devil would love us all to, ah, it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal. And we live our lives, it's not that big a deal. I mean, they didn't come back for 2,000 years. I'm sure it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And we just keep going on. I love what Charles Swindoll said. He says, critics have denied it. Cynics have laughed at it. Scholars have ignored it. Liberal theologians have tried to explain it away. They demythologize it. I, I, those two big words. That's three big words I've used today. And fanatics have perverted it. So here's the question. If the doctrine of the second coming doesn't actually affect how you live, how we live, does it really matter if mockers scoff at it? And well, it's a big deal. I mean, if it doesn't affect how we live our everyday lives, then it doesn't matter what YouTube said, doesn't matter what Twitter says, doesn't matter how many times it's abused, doesn't matter. If they're just gonna take it, if I don't believe it, and it hasn't affected me, that Jesus is coming back someday. Jesus is coming back, he's gonna bring judgment on the earth. I, how am I living that truth out today? So what should I do with that? Well, what you don't do is you don't go sit on a mountaintop, sell everything you have, and wait like a lot of people over time have. They believe, some in, some in my lifetime, people do the good, the end of the world is this, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001. I mean, how many years have been proclaiming people sold everything and sat on a mountaintop and wait, and then they had to go buy everything back because it didn't happen like that. That's not what we're called to do. What we are called to do is be the salt sprinkle our salt out, be that flavoring, be that part where it's supposed to shed, you know, shine our light, let people see us, what we do, what we're involved with, how we're helping out. I even put it down here, we should be happy. I mean, some Christians look like, you know, they've been sucking on sour grapes all their life or lemons, and um, there's not much joy. And guys, I'm going to tell you, sometimes... Sometimes it's hard to find joy with everything going on, so you have to choose to do that. That I'm, I'm glad that someday, maybe in my lifetime, it'll happen. But am I living that way? Am I sharing the good news? Am I sharing the hope that I have with people? Because if this is true, if this is true, those who don't know Jesus will not be going to the place that I will be at. Heaven is reserved for those who have pledged their allegiance to God, who said, I will follow you, have asked for forgiveness, repent of their sins, and that's who he promises to bring back home. My job, because I get to partner with him, is to share that hope with those people. Do I live every day to bring glory to his name? Do I do my job to bring glory to his name? But I'm not working for the boss, I'm working for God. I'm, I, I want him to be proud of what I'm doing. Am I, is my life been affected by the truth that someday this is all coming to an end 
and someday he's going to come back to bring me home. Am I living with that reality or not? And the last thing, if you haven't gotten your ticket punched yet, punch your ticket, which means, guys, if you haven't made that step to say, I need Jesus in my life. I, I, I understand, I... I I've just never taken that step. And I don't know what I'm waiting for. I mean, when somebody says, well, I think I'm a Christian, I always say, well, thinking you're a Christian is like thinking you're married. Either you are or you aren't. <laughs> or thinking you're pregnant. All right? Either you are or you aren't. Um, and I remember saying that to Mike. And he said those exact words back to me. Well, I think I am. Well, let me ask you this. And he showed me that just hoping I was or thinking I am wasn't that I could know I was. Not by anything that I've done, not any good deed that I've committed, it's by me asking Jesus to forgive my sins and to come into my life. And then choose to live my life with that truth that he's coming back. How then should I live in this world until he comes? So let me, I'm going to pray for us who are believers in Christ here this morning, if you've chosen to do that. But I also want to pray for you that maybe you haven't done that. And I'm going to put a simple prayer up here that I'm going to ask us all to say together. That maybe today's the day. Today's the day you're saying, I don't know what I'm waiting for. It's time to do business and punch my ticket with God. So let me pray. Father in heaven. For us who are believers in Christ today, you've given us hope. You've given us things to believe in. And there's a world and a devil who wants to mock and pull us away and get us all tied up with things. But, Father, what do we believe in? Do we believe that you're coming back again someday? The whole purpose of coming back is to take your people home. Father, may we be a people who are anticipating that, who are looking forward to that, who live a life that testifies to that. How we do our job, how we love our family, how we live in our neighborhoods, how we are at school. May our lives be a testimony to that. And when people mock, Father, we know what the truth is and we can come back and just say, guys, here, here's some truth and I hope someday you'll understand this truth for yourself. These are the things I'm believing in and this is why I'm believing. And Father, for anyone here or anyone watching online who doesn't know you yet, they, they pop into church, they've listened to different things, but they've never made a commitment to you. May today be that day. So let us say this prayer together again. I, I change the words. It's not the words that are important. It's the attitude of your heart. Let's say this together. Father, you want to be truly known. You sent your son Jesus in order that I can know you. You promised in your word that you are coming back to bring your children home. I want to be one of those you come for. Today, I repent of my sin. I turn to you as the only source of my salvation. I receive as a gift my ticket. Jesus sacrificed for my sins, and today I pledge to follow you all the days of my life. 
Father, for those who may have prayed that prayer for the first time, may you fill them with your spirit. Father, may they choose to get plugged in, whether it be here or a church there around, to learn how to live out that reality. Father, may we all be in anticipation of your return. As we'll learn next week, as some count slowness, you're not slow. You're not wanting anyone to perish. So, Father, may we live a life that is that way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.